as employers, we do want to let them know that they are valued and that their lives matter. And that will create more loyalty within a team than, hey, we're going to just bonus you every single time. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I am your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Doug C. Brown. Doug, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I appreciate you coming on to share your knowledge. And I have a quick bio for you to read so people know who you are, which I'm sure probably a lot of them already do. But Doug Brown is a highly acclaimed sales revenue growth expert, international best-selling author. He's coached, consulted, and advised thousands of people in business, as well as companies including Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, Intuit, Procter & Gamble, CVS Television, and others. He's been an independent president of sales and trainings for Tony Roberts, Chet Holmes, Russ Whitney, and he's generated over $500 million in sales, and his last client made $3 million in five weeks. His most outstanding professional achievement is increasing the company's closing rate by 862%, and their revenue growth by 116% in just four months. Doug, that's pretty spectacular. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it sounds actually like I'm more important than I probably really am. But (laughs) you know, it's funny before this earlier today, I was on another podcast on CFO podcast and they read my bio and they said the legend Matt Rouse. And I'm like, I'm totally not a legend. Like (laughs) way more people know Doug Brown than know Matt Rouse. That's for sure. But hey, Doug, tell us a little bit more about what you do. Well, I help companies grow their revenues. I mean, most companies are looking to grow their sales revenue. They have impedances that are going on or they have certain blind spots that are going on or they have things that are working, but not optimized. So I get in there, I help the companies, I do the assessment on the companies. Prior to that, we get really truthful about the goals. What are we trying to do? What really are we trying to do? Not what do we desire to do? And then uh, once we do the assessment, we figure out everything around the processes, the skills, the systems, the people. Then we build out a growth plan together and then we either help them implement that growth plan or they implement the growth plan themselves. Nice. So when we were talking before we booked you on the show, we kind of came up with the topic about the blind spots that companies have between sales and marketing alignment and how that influences their sales growth and their revenue. What do you think are the blind spots between sales and marketing? Well, the first one is they're usually not on the same page, right? They're, they have marketing and sales. The old adage, marketing says salespeople are lazy. They are not doing the job. We set up the greatest leads in the world. They, they're not closing them, right? And salespeople go, well, the leads aren't that good or you know what, I don't need a marketing department because I can go out and get my own leads. I just need them to kind of promote behind the scenes, right? So there's this division between the two. And that's one of the first common blind spots because once we unify this, if companies realize that, look, a client is going to go on a client journey all the way through and all divisions or all departments in the company are very much in congruency and in tandem working together, then what ends up happening is the client goes through this amazingly wonderful journey But if it's not, and you've got mixed messages going out from marketing, you know, i.e. client comes to the sales channel and they're talking about buying fencing, for example, you know, let's say that was the thing. And salesperson's now trying to sell them, I don't know, picket fence or chain link fence or whatever, but the client's gone, 
the marketing message was coming in for sword lessons. <laughs> so huge break in rapport at that point. And if, even if it's not that obvious, just the small things that create customer fear or apprehension is going to impede the sales process. So those two being in alignment is extremely important. Right. There's a thing in the digital marketing and advertising world that we call AdSent. And AdSent means if somebody looks at an advertisement, let's say it's on Facebook, just as an example, or Instagram or something, and you have an image and you have some copy that goes with that, right? Some text, some words that go with it. And you click to that and the new page has completely different sounding text and a completely different theme and style of photo or picture. That's a break in the ad set. And what happens is people get thrown off. They think it's like a bait and switch and they just kind of shut off. Right. And they immediately go back to whatever they were looking at before and they don't care anymore. Is it kind of like that is like a break in what happens in the attention of the consumer? Yeah. And that break in attention is anchored by a negative emotion. Usually, right. It's like, oh, it's like showing up for a blind date, thinking you're going to show up with this person. And then someone new is there. Now, if the person new is there is much more desirable and, and everything works well. But that initial like, oh, I've been taken feeling or this may not be safe. Yeah, absolutely. If it's AdSense or, you know, disparaging you don't want somebody saying, I'll set you up with my nephew who's a model and you show up and it's Sasquatch. Unless you really like Sasquatch. <laughs> Sasquatch could be a model too if it's the right fit. But True. If you're selling beef jerky, then that might be a fit. But so how do you align sale? I, I mean, you don't have to like give me the entire process because I'm sure it's not like an easy, you know, da -da 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 and it's all done. But what does what the start of the process look like to align sales and marketing? The first thing is get the executive sponsor, usually the, the owner or the CEO on that page that this is what's going to happen and that they're going to be the police, right, of the of the situation. They're going to be, this is where we're going. We're going to be the leadership. This is where it's happening. Everybody needs to get on board. Without that one component, I can tell you that it's not that easy, right? Because you have, I mean, I always say this, Matt, business is so easy when you remove the people from the equation. Right. It's easy on paper. <laughs> exactly. Right. So very simple rules in business, money out plus money in equals something. But when we put people in, we all have, you know, fears, wants, desires, needs, you know, and so that's what usually gets caught. And I've also found that. So if you get the CEO, the owner of the company on that page and the directive comes down and it's like, this is the direction we're going in, then people are much more agreeable. So that's the first step. The second step is let's air the grievances that are going on. Let's get them out there so everybody understands, because what I've discovered over time is salespeople are very unaware of what marketing actually does. Right. So they have this perception and marketing very much is in the same boat because they don't really understand what salespeople go through. And so sometimes, which I find is a great value, is you match the sales and marketing person up on both sides. So marketers actually have to go on sales calls. They actually have to try to get a cold call. Let's say if that's what the company's doing, they have to become a salesperson for just a short period of time to understand what's going on. And salespeople need to be in the marketing department to understand that, you know, they're not just a bunch of people. They're trying to plot, you know, on charts and graphs. They're really trying to help them out on the sales. So once you get the grievances mapped out and we do the assessment, you know, we figure out, do people have to adjust 
or not, right? And again, this comes from the top down. It's not just us saying, you know, this is what it is. We'll make the recommendation. And then once the assessment's done, it's like, okay, let's build a new customer journey or a new growth plan within the process and get everybody on the same page moving in the spirit of the same rank. Right. And man, have I seen companies where there is no leadership coming down from the top when they make changes. That is a huge problem. I'll tell you a story about that quick one. I was working with this web design company, their large web design company. And I came in because I own my own agency on the side. They hired me kind of like a contractor, a consultant to come in and kind of move this out of this old world process, paper process that they were using, get them onto a project system. At the time, this is years ago, it was Microsoft Project because that was what everybody used for project management at the time. And so, you know, we got all the stuff built out and the software ready and everything done. And then we had a meeting like kind of an all hands on deck meeting. And I was brought up to explain how we're going to change the process of how they do project management. And then all the project managers went back and decided that they hated the new process and they wanted to keep doing it the old way. And then the owner just disappeared and stopped answering the phone. And about a week later, he sent like, you know, the the guy who's in charge of the project managers, like the division department manager over to tell me that they weren't going to go start using project anymore. Like, it's just a complete failure. And you know what happened to that company? They they started going downhill. Somebody purchased them, split it up into different departments and sold off the pieces. And, you know, that's what happens when your leadership sucks. So I'm in agreement. And I've seen gross loss of revenue because of it. And I've seen, you know, a lot of stress over that. Right. I mean, at a company I worked with, they were doing 48 million a year and they were in the digital marketing space. So they were a training company in the digital marketing space. And uh, so I, I did this and I looked at the whole company and I went back to the owner and I said, hey, look, about 62% of your leads are never being contacted and pushed into step one, into phase one. Right. Now, if you move them into phase one, then a certain percentage convert into phase two. And I gave them that number as well. And I said, but once you get them into phase two, you have a static close rate across the board. And so if you can just get your people to go from stage zero to stage one, this will likely double your business because they were generating thousands of leads a week. And after him telling me, I don't know what I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, him denial, denial, denial. He asked me to be the heavy. And I said, no, it's not my position to be the heavy, right? You as the CEO need to be the heavy. So he did comply to do that. And miraculously over the next two years, his company went from 48 million to 110 million. <laughs> but his company was stuck at $48 million and it wasn't going anywhere soon. And that one metric that he didn't want to take on the fight, if you will, or take on the, the leadership role, that one metric was costing him over $50 million a year. So once he embraced that, you know, company grew. It's crazy. You know, the amount of lead generation that happens in especially larger organizations that is wasted is amazing. Literally amazing. Like you've got small businesses out there fighting tooth and nail for every lead that they can find, trying to nurture them to get some business. And then you've got some companies who have such amazing lead generation system and then their follow-up system is just garbage. <laughs> Absolutely. And be, because the, the executive management or the ownership or whoever's looking at this is looking at top line revenue only. They're looking at top line percentages. They're not looking at the optimization, which you and I would look at. And that optimization can be the difference between a marginally good year and a highly profitable good year. Right. What do you think is for a company if they're if they're going to decide if 
you know, hiring a consultant or someone like yourself to come in and look at their process and stuff, how, how do they decide, how, how are they going to determine that that's something that they need to do? Well, the first thing to do is have the conversation around what's going on, right? So can they fix it internally or do they need an external set of eyes? Now, most of the time, an external set of eyes brings a whole new perception. It's never ceases to amaze me. You probably run across this too, Matt, and you work with a company, you go in and you tell them, hey, here's what the, the discovery of findings are. And they go, wow, oh, that is amazing. Jeez, you know, we never thought about that. But, you know, we've interviewed the last 30 people in the company or whatever, and they all told us very similar stuff, right? So a lot of times the voices are not being heard within the company. So when a consultant comes in, then all of a sudden the perception changes and those things that might have been obvious are now not obvious. They are, you know, a priority because they can see them coming, coming through. Just like the gentleman I was telling you about the, the $48 million company, right? I mean, he wasn't paying attention to it. And the reality is a lot of his sales team was selling this. We don't have the right systems to actually push this through the process. The CRM is kludgy. We can't really seem how to work it effectively, but they have to take a look at that. And, and do they have a really high desire to actually, you know, not desire to change, but commitment to actually make it grow. And if they do, then bringing in an outset set of eyes to take a good look at this is usually far more objective than it is in-house. Yeah, there's that old saying, I think I, I might be butchering it, but I say it the same way all the time. It's you can't be a prophet in your own home. Sometimes they say it can't be a prophet in your own land. Yep. And that's, you know, when you have someone in your organization who's saying, look, I've done this work. I've figured this stuff out. How come nobody's listening to me? Right. And then, like you were saying, a consultant comes in and says basically the same thing. And they go, oh, that's what's happening. <laughs> exactly. A lot of times it's because they're not maybe taking their, their people seriously because maybe that's not their position. Right. That's not where they feel that that person's expertise is. A lot of times people have sort of this Rolodex in their brain. That's a place where you used to put contact information for you younger folks. But a Rolodex in their brain where there's only one card for each person. And that card says, like, Jill is the email marketing person. And when Jill talks to you about lead generation problems or lead follow up problems, you don't listen to her because she's the email marketing person. Right. 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 And, you know, somebody from accounting can't really talk about human resources or, you know, et cetera. And and the reality is this is where companies have a higher turnover rate. And if we measure turnover rate in a company, it's very indicative of how the company is being run. You know, I worked with a company that had an 82% turnover rate of all employees in a year. Wow. It's like, whoa, 82%. <laughs> That's a crazy amount of turnover. You know, I mean, an average salary turnover. I mean, if it's a salesperson, you know, it could be 150% of an annual salary. If, you know, if they're turning over hundreds of people a year, that's a lot of money lost. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of training, right? It's, it costs a lot of money to get your people up to speed on, you know, on the HR process you got to go through and all the paperwork and all the other things happen. Yeah. And then the, the client experience on top of it. You know, hey, here's your fourth salesperson in the last six months, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It just looks like you don't know what you're doing or maybe they, they start to make their own story up about what the problem with your company is instead of thinking about the things that your marketing people are trying to put out to them. They're thinking about maybe, you know, Nikhil over there is not the greatest CEO because I've got four salespeople coming into my office in a year. Absolutely. They're, you know, I mean, perception is everything. <laughs> 
And so if a company is going to look at kind of that that sales and marketing alignment in their company, would you suggest that it's something that they can look at internally and they can meet with sales and marketing together and say, hey, you know, what are the concerns that you guys have with each other kind of thing? Or is it more of we should kind of independently talk to each person involved and get their kind of point of view, put all this information together and make a decision like, do we need to bring in a consultant or is this just a few problems we can fix with some training or some some email communication or something? Yeah, it, de- it depends on the severity of what's going on. But the reality is I found both methods work great. Right. So you can put people in together in a room. So sometimes people feel more comfortable expressing themselves in a group format. And other times people are far more comfortable just having an anonymity. I can't even say the word, but being, <laughs> you know, we're not going to tell you, you know, let's go back to the CEO or, the, or people and say, you know, Joe said this. Right. We're going to we're going to take the overlapping things that come out of the interviews and we're going to present them in the ideas of, OK, if we hear this two or three times, it is an issue that's coming up. Right. So. Some people are better off on the one-on-ones and some people are better off on the group. You want to try a combination of the both. Now, the, the key, here's the key in the group, though. If you're going to do this thing in the group, there are no bad ideas. No one can be put down because the, the moment that a company does this, anyone in the company, oh, that's not really a great idea. Then let's move on, right? That type of thing. It's going to shut down the productivity of that that session. Right. Everybody who sees that says, I don't want to be embarrassed. So I'm not going to put forth any ideas because, you know, I don't want to get shut down kind of thing. Without question. And that, that'll stop the progress of that meeting right then and there. And then what will happen is even on the one on ones, people will start to hold back because, you know, again, they don't if the leadership is is or showing or allowing other people within the group to actually badger other people, then it's just not going to be that productive. Right. And you know what's interesting? I was listening to uh, CBC Radio because I'm in Canada right now, and they were talking about stigmatization of people in office work or, you know, manufacturing work that, that don't want other people to know if they've caught COVID. And the idea with it was as soon as you start to stigmatize it or your employees, you know, say, oh, well, I don't want to go near Bob because Bob had COVID. That kind of thing, or we don't want to be around Bob's family or Bob's kids because Bob had COVID kind of thing, which is an understandable fear that people may have. But what happens is then you get this workplace environment where people will get sick and come in anyway, because they don't want anybody to know that they were sick. And then now you've got staff getting infected. You've got the potential of, especially with some of the newer strains of COVID that can spread really quickly, that could really decimate your staff. You know, you could infect your customers. There's all kinds of bad things that can happen, right? And it's that same idea of putting a stigma or like like shutting someone down in a creative meeting. If you are, you know, making sure that you want your employees to say, like, if you even think that you're sick, you need to be staying home. You need to be talking to HR, right? This is not medical or legal advice. This is just a suggestion, but. But you're bringing a very good point up, which is what keeps the growth of your company and what motivates people within your company to positively motivate them, not negatively motivate them, right? And studies now, you know, we're in 2021, studies in 2020 showed the same thing, even in 2019, Money is not the number one factor any longer for people in companies, uh, for at least employees, right? 
Job satisfaction and life satisfaction far outweigh now the money. Of course, money is a component of that. So most people do not want to be in an environment whatsoever that is in constant conflict, you know, where they're walking in every day going, oh, I can't, you know, I just, I, I watched a, a Tom Hanks movie. I think it was called Joe and the Volcano. And, uh, <laughs> and Tom Hanks plays this guy, Joe, and he goes into this job every single day. And he's just like, I can't stand it anymore. And then the doctor tells him, Hey, uh, you've got this terminal disease. And so the first thing he does is he quits and he goes on these adventures, right? Because he figures, you know, cause he wants life's quality. Now it's not like we have to give people worldwide vacations, which would be nice if we could, but and as, as employers, but we do want to let them know that they are valued and that their lives matter. And that will create more loyalty within a team than, Hey, we're going to just bonus you every single time. So what you're bringing up about COVID is, is very interesting and it's very relevant because if people are afraid to say, Hey, I have this, you know, I mean, I remember when uh, AIDS came out, for example, you know, way back, right. I think you, <laughs> you brought up the Rolodex. So I'm bringing up older stuff too, right. You know, people were like so fearful that they were taking people out of work and they, you know, because, and rightfully so, I mean, we didn't really know what was going on at that point, but the way they did it was the wrong way. You know, not that Tom Hanks is one of my favorite actors, but he did something called Philadelphia on that exact subject matter. So if somebody has COVID, you know, let's look at the human aspect of this. And you're right. If they come into the company and they infect the rest of the company, I mean, there could be companies that just get wiped out completely. My attorney had this happen to him. You know, one of my attorneys is just, you know, I was set to do a, a, an agreement, a contract with them. And I called in for three days. I couldn't get anybody. And then somebody got back to me and said, oh, the whole office has COVID-19. We're shutting down at least a month. I mean, I've recently, recently, as in yesterday, I talked to someone that I know who was quarantining themselves because they found out that two people on the um, sales floor, it's like a call center type place, two of them had come into work because they were worried that they wouldn't get sick pay, right? If they if didn't come into work and two of them came in who had been already diagnosed as having COVID, like they already had a positive test and they sent the whole office home. And then after like a week, they were like, okay, everybody come back kind of thing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not <laughs> two weeks, right? And it's not two weeks of quarantine, but also like how much remote work could you do? It's on the phone, like, Get an IP based phone system. Let people work from home if they feel sick, right? Like there's all these solutions that you could do. And the work life balance thing is like I, I read a study probably similar to the one that you had read. And I think what they were saying, I can't remember the exact total, but it was somewhere around the neighborhood of like sixty-five dollars to $70,000 a year. After you kind of pass that amount, then work life balance becomes more important to your job than money. And one of the things that I found super interesting is last year, we and in the fall of last year, 2020, I interviewed a guy named Travis Bell. He's the bucket list guy. And he's the one who says to live your bucket list. And he was talking about how companies can give kind of some flexible hours and things to their employees so that they can do these things and live out their bucket list and, you know, kind of local travel and things like that, that are still COVID friendly things that you can do that are safe to do that you can check off your, your bucket list or your new approved bucket list and still get good job life satisfaction. And then you've got the whole idea of, you know, kind of the Donald Miller style, 
get the entire company pointing the same direction with the same purpose and everybody understands the mission. And, you know, those things matter and they matter a lot. They do. They do to the growth of the company. And, you know, it manifests itself in all kinds of ways, you know, employee retention. When people are happier, they're more productive. Right. And they will do additional things without being asked to have to do them, nor are they required to have to pay them many times. They'll, they'll go out of their way and they'll do types of things. I, I remember one of the hotels in, in, in Las Vegas, it was actually the Wynn Hotel. One of the employees, so somebody showed up at the hotel and they forgot their, their heart medication, I believe it was. And one of the employees got in the car, drove two hours to the CVS in their hometown brought it all the way back, spent four hours, gave this person heart medication. <laughs> I mean, you know, did it on his own time. So, right, because he loved working where he worked and he felt it was part of his job duty to actually take care of the client. Now, obviously that made good PR news. That was a, you know, a wonderful thing for the company. But this is what employees will do for companies when, an example anyways, of when they're happy and they're feeling valued within the organization. And they have that, that work-life balance because as fatigue goes up, learning goes down. As fatigue goes up, you know, interaction with other people, you know, that proactive, active communications that we all like people to have, that drops because they're tired. For sure. And the other thing is, when was the last time you looked at somebody in any kind of company or corporate position and sat down their actual job description and said, are these the only things that you do? <laughs> of course. And the answer, of course, is no, right? They do all kinds of stuff that people don't know about, especially if you have a larger company with lots of layers of management, middle management and stuff. There's all kinds of employees who have all kinds of tasks that are not documented anywhere that have to be done, that has knowledge that's kept within your company that if those people were to leave, especially on unhappy terms, that knowledge doesn't get transferred. It gets lost. Without question. So it's not documented, nor is it people rely on, you know, tribal training, right? And this person tells this person tells this person, but they don't tell the whole organization, right? So it's not a very efficient way of doing things or or effective. And, you know, what I've noticed, Matt, maybe you have too, is even the person who's answering the phones, they tend to know a lot more about the company than a lot of other people. Because they're on the front line hearing all of the stuff come in every single day. But the reality is that most companies don't go to those people and say, hey, what do you think are a few problems in the company? What do you think a few things were doing great? What would you recommend that we improve upon? And it never ceases to amaze me that when we can get leaders to do that within companies, that they find this nugget or two or three that actually drives their company into the next space of where they wanted to go in the first place. Yeah. The next decision, if your company is stuck, the next decision that's going to get you over the hump is probably going to come from one of your frontline employees. One of your customer facing people are going to be the one who knows what the problem that all of your clients call it about. That's not documented. That's not anywhere. You know, like you were saying, the person who answers the, the front desk phone at the company, they're usually not using like a trouble ticketing system. There's no tracking in place for besides, you know, maybe this person called at this time, you know, so that's a great source of ideas for your company. Doug, I know we could talk about this stuff all day and I hate to cut it short, but I wanted to ask you one more question and then we'll kind of wrap things up. So there's been kind of a shift, at least I know on the agency world of trying to combine the sales and marketing 
departments in a in a matter when it comes to producing things like content. So they want the salespeople out taking photos and stuff that are going to be used in in like social media. They want the salespeople involved in the content that gets written that goes out to people. And they also want the marketing people involved in what are the way that they're presenting the products and also as well as, you know, maybe some continuity. So it's not like a transfer from, you know, the frontline salespeople to maybe internal production people. What do you think about that sort of uh, shared content creation system for sales and marketing? Well, I, I have mixed feelings, honestly, about it. And, and here's the reason why salespeople have certain skills and those skills are geared towards selling. Marketing people have certain skills and those are geared toward marketing. Now, while I think cross-training is really important and understanding what's going on within the organization on both sides of the fence are very important. You know, trying to make a marketer into a salesperson, that's like trying to take your best-selling salesperson and make them into a manager. It's not always the greatest idea, right? There's different skill sets there. A top-selling salesperson loves to be out and amongst people and talking and, you know, closing deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you try to give that top-selling salesperson, you know, a 10-page spreadsheet and you say, hey, do all these, you know, pivot tables and calculations and give me the number, they're, they're going to fry. Their brain just doesn't want to do that. And where a manager should love to do that, a manager should love to coach. You know, a lot of times salespeople don't mind teaching, but they don't want to coach. So, if we're forcing the expertise that should be happening within one department onto another and looking at that as that's going to be the same value, I disagree with that. If we're looking at we want to collaborate together and use the best of both worlds, but let the experts do what they can do. Like, you know, I'm terrible at taking pictures. If I was a salesperson, I'd be giving back pictures of people be like, what, what, what? <laughs> you know? Right. But I'm very effective in sales. And so. I understand marketing. I understand sales. So I could be effective in both. But the reality is a guy like yourself, Matt, who's in the marketing side of this every single day has some understanding that I don't have. And I probably have some understanding you don't have. Right. So I think the blending of minds like, you know, the Napoleon Hill mastermind concept makes a lot of sense there. But forcing an accountant to have to learn how to do sales or forcing somebody who's, you know, not really interested in, in doing that. I don't think it's a great idea. I think it's good to expose them to that, to give them the initial, hey, this is how it happens and this is what's going on. So they have a better rounded understanding and knowledge of how the whole system works. But I don't know. I, I have mixed, mixed feelings on that. You know, I'm, I'm sure it works out for some companies, but I would think for most of them, I, I've never done that. Like the old movie cliche where... You don't want the action movie beat cop to go have to sit behind a desk because that's not his thing. That's right. And then the desk cop has to go on the ride along or whatever to see what it's like on the streets. And <laughs> Right, right. And, it, and it's okay to do that once or twice, but to force the desk to cop to be the person behind the wheel and deal and interact with people when that's not really what they want to do. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just going to create more. They're not going to be out there defending like Nakatomi Plaza or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Bruce Willis is going to be. <laughs> That's funny. That's an old movie, too, by the way. I like I, I haven't seen like a new action movie for for years, by the way. I don't. I don't have a I don't have a good reference for it for more recent stuff. <laughs> so the interesting thing to me about that, and I learned that just this year from my kids, was that was actually a Christmas. It's considered a Christmas movie. That's right. It's a Christmas movie now because it happens at Christmas. So 
Yeah, I'm like, uh, this is a little different than most of the Christmas <laughs> movies I've ever watched. Right? Yeah, well, uh, there's actually been some pretty clever Christmas movies. I know this is this is going to be March when this comes out, and we're talking about Christmas movies, but there was some kids ones that came out recently that were really good that my daughter really likes. She's four, you know? And, ah, oh, crap, now I can't remember the name of the one that we just watched that was really clever. But I'll come up with it. I'll see if I can get it, sneak it into the show notes. But, Doug, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to align their sales and marketing departments, how do they start that conversation with you? Well, the best way is they could either email me at Doug at Business Success Factors. You know, they can check out the website if they want at www.businesssuccessfactors, which we're upgrading the website. So if you look at it soon and then look at it again, it'll change. Or they could call me directly at 603-595-0303. That's here in the United States. My LinkedIn profile is Doug Brown 1234 so that should be easy enough. But if you can't find it under that, just type in Doug Brown, Berkeley College of Music, and that will come up. Even though I went to Berkeley, I never graduated from Berkeley. You know, all my other universities I graduated from, they don't seem to come up under LinkedIn. So I'm not sure why, but. So what did you take at Berkeley? I was a vocal major and a keyboard player. And I was, I used to work in recording studios. So, you know, part of my life was selling music equipment to the bands that, you know, at least you and I would listen to, you know, over the years, whether it was Aerosmith or the Eagles or Billy Joel or whoever, you know, I worked with a lot of those bands on the equipment side of it. So it was a lot of fun. Nice. It's like recording equipment kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we did recording equipment and, you know, even guitars, you know, it was nice, like, you know, Barry Goodrow from Boston, you know, coming into the place and we're selling him guitars or Brad Delft, the lead singer or whatever. And they're looking at microphones they're going to use, but then, you know, all of a sudden you see that guitar on a, a video somewhere. And it's like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I used to, I used to play a bit. I wish I had all of my recording gear. I just got my, my stuff moved from the United States to Canada it took like eight weeks to get our stuff through customs and everything over Christmas. So I don't have all my podcast gear. So don't worry. The podcast is going to start sound better again next week when I have my gear. But Doug, you sound great, though. So you've obviously got the equipment. Yes. Yep. I've got the equipment. I, I went out and invested in that. And I recommend anybody who's going to be a guest or do their own podcast to have really great equipment. Right. I think you sound fine, too, as well. I mean, so if you've got better equipment, you'll probably even sound better. But it's a. Uh, I didn't notice. I do. You know, you know, it's amazing. You could spend 130 bucks on a headset now and it's got a reasonably good mic and kind of sound canceling headphones and everything. But, you know, normally I have, I have the like the setup with the big mic and the, you know, the mixer and all that kind of stuff. Doug, pleasure to speak with you today. And thank you so much for coming to share your knowledge with us. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you're from Canada and that we might have relatives in the same area. So I appreciate you as a person and, and your business acumen as well. I appreciate you sharing with us, Doug. Have a great day. You too, Matt. Thanks again. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.